0: Amen. I'm thankful for hope. Amen. Things are not always going to be this way, and I sure am thankful for that. There's a better day coming. There is a better day coming. Uh, if, If you didn't have hope... If you didn't have hope, then, boy, you wouldn't be able to deal with the things that you're able to deal with. And a lot of folks is having a hard time dealing with the things that they're they're going through this morning. And it's because they have no hope. And listen, if I could say anything to you this morning, uh, the thing that you need is you need Jesus Christ. And I say the thing, it's the person. Uh, But I trust that you understand what I'm talking about. You need salvation. You need to be introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need just one more form of religion. You need Jesus. A lot of folks grew up in this part of the country. They've grown up in the uh, right on a church pew, but they've never met the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ will change your life because he'll give you something that this world can't give, and that's hope. That's hope. It's hope. It seems like everything's falling apart. It really does. I, it really seems like the whole world is falling apart, and it is. And there's a reason for that. We're going to look at that. Uh, But the Bible holds out not just a gleam picture of everything's going to fall apart and it's all going to end in hellfire and damnation. The Bible holds out a great opportunity for you to have hope for things not to turn out that way for you. And, uh, you know, the, the, the modern concept in religion and And i it just is what it is the modern concept in religion and I say religion when I'm, when I say religion, I mean independent baptist because that 's what I am, and that 's what i 've been for most of my life and i 'm thankful to be that way i 'm not mad about that or upset about that i 'm not apologetic about it, even. Uh, But it seems like the modern idea in Independent Baptists is, you know, when you die, you're going to die and go to heaven, and that's just the way it's going to be for the rest of eternity. But that's not the Bible idea of things. If you go through, and I've said this before because it's true, and so if it's true, you might as well say it again. Ain't that right? I say a lot of things that's true, and I keep saying it because it's just true. The truth is worth repeating. But the the biblical, when you start going through the New Testament, the, the amount of times where I'm talking about segmented portions of the Scripture. You know, the Lord talks about many different subjects in different places in the Bible. He talks about the virgin birth, obviously, in the Gospels, but he also makes mention of it a couple of times in the book of Isaiah. He makes uh, mention of it in the book of Genesis. There's different places where the Lord talks about different things. The second advent, that shows up throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. But when you're talking about dying and going to heaven, the amount of times where that shows up in the New Testament is not as much as you would think. You know, listening to all of the country music songs and listen even to a lot of gospel songs, you would think that, man, there's a lot of the Bible that has to talk about going to heaven. But when you hold up the amount of times where the Bible talks about people dying and going to heaven up next to something like, I don't know, fill in the blank. I, you, you fill in the blank. I'm trying to think about other things while I'm talking. Uh, comparing those things, the amount of times are very few. Revelation chapter 21, 22, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe Paul talks about a little bit. He doesn't give any description of what heaven's going to look like, but he talks about when you die to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. That's not really heaven. He's really talking about the process of getting there, what it takes to get there. You've got to die. Now, we understand. I, I understand this is Sunday morning, so I'm t- trying not to take it for granted that everybody's a theologian. But I I take it for granted that some of you understand that there is the rapture and you can go to heaven that way without dying. But that's a different subject for a different time. All I'm trying to say is that the amount of times where you really talk, where the Bible talks about what heaven looks like. In my father's house, John 14, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. But that's all you get in John 14. Well, so you, listening to things, you'd think, well, man, there's got to be a lot of information in the Bible about what heaven is going to be like, you know. Uh, I wish I could think of a country music song, but I, I'm glad that I can't because country music has always been depressing to me. You do know what happens when you play country music backwards. You get your dog back. You get your wife back. You get your house back. Mm. Anyways, that was a poor joke, but it's mm, partly true. So it just is what it is. That, that might be, i just take a shot right there and just say this, that might be why you're depressed all the time. Yeah, right. yeah. you listening to all this country music where you're losing everything. I guess that means you're a loser. Oh, I'm not no loser. Then quit listening to losing music. You need to find some music to where you're a finder to where you're a receiver. Yeah. My recommendation. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Hey listen at it. Get quiet, man. I guess I done killed the service. Anyways, it ain't got enough of this. I keep being depressed. I, I mean, I was talking about heaven and everybody was really in tune. And then I said, quit listening to country music and pick up a hymn book and... I don't know. Uh, I don't know what planet y'all on this morning. Uh, but anyways, uh, there's just not a whole lot of information comparatively about heaven. But there is a lot of information about what it's going to be like after the Lord comes back. There really is a lot of information. There's a lot of history. The Bible is a history book, but it's also a a book of prophecy. And boy, as soon as you say prophecy, people's ears perk up because there's a lot of interest in prophecy right now and, you know, quote, unquote, you know, interest in the, quote, unquote, latter days, the latter times. And that's not bad, by the way. I'm not trying to slight that. But there's a lot of interest in those things. The problem with that is that most folks who talk about like they know what prophecy is, they don't believe a King James Bible, and so they're lost before they even get out of the gate. Yeah. Right. Yep. That, that's true. Let me just say something about this since we're there and it got so quiet. If you're listening to somebody talk about prophecy and they don't have a King James Bible, you would do yourself a favor by turning it off. Yeah. That is that is just the truth. And then if you listen to somebody that talks about prophecy and they read a passage and then say, well, this is a metaphor or this is an allegory or what this is really talking about is, you know, when people start going through the Bible and saying, you know, uh, the horses shall jostle in the streets and they'll run like lightning and somebody stands up and says, well, that's talking about missiles and bombs. And you better leave that stuff alone. Uh, it means exactly what it says. It uh, you're be quiet because you're thinking. So I feel a little alone up here. So let me just give you food for thought this morning. I'm not really trying to give you a theological dissertation, but this won't hurt you. I promise this will be a whole lot better for you than CNN and Fox News. Listen to me. By the time the world goes through the Great Tribulation and God ransacks everything on this world... I mean, just destroys everything. In the book of Revelation, the Lord talks about how that there's going to be uh, something thrown into the sea, and it's going to kill like a third part of the fish. Now, if it's going to do that, what do you think it's going to do to naval ships? Yeah. Yeah. Here comes these locusts out of the bottomless pit, and they start eating everything. Well, that's, what's that going to do to agriculture? So by the time the tribulation is over, I wouldn't be surprised if men are riding in chariots again. Huh? Oh, man, we've got all these fossil fuels, you know, over in Iraq, and we've got it right here in the United States, and I think there's some even up in Canada. Well, what happens when all of the equipment is broken to where you can't pump it out of the ground and you can't refine it? Yeah. You're back to looking at mutton, and Jeff. You're back to finding horses. Yeah. And so, you know, folks get these glamorous ideas, you know, of, boy, it's, going there. it's nuclear warfare in the tribulation. No, it's like exactly what the Bible says it's going to be. Just believe God. Just When you see something in the Bible, just take God at his word. I guarantee you by the time everything is said and done, I I say I guarantee I wouldn't be surprised. Let me put it that way. By the time the tribulation shows up, all of these places, you know, everybody's trying to figure out what Gog and Magog is. Listen, by the time the Lord shows up, things are going to be back to the way that they were when they were in Bible times as far as the naming of places. Don't worry about that stuff, man. I'm not telling you not to be interested and not to learn. What I'm telling you is God knows what he's talking about. And God, when God wants to reveal those things, those things are going to come out in the open and it's going to be plain. The problem is is that when all that stuff takes place, men's hearts are going to be so hard that when they'll see, just like we talked about with Pharaoh this morning in Sunday school, men's hearts will be so hard that they'll see the judgment of God going on right in front of them. And the Bible says that those men are going to be crying unto the rocks, hey, fall on us and cover us from the face of him that sits on the throne. Men are not going to be wanting to get right because their hearts are hard. They're going to be wanting to get away from God. Have you ever stopped and thought about the fact that when the rich man went to hell in Luke chapter 16, hell's a real place. Yeah, yeah. The rich man's a real man. Yeah. You don't know his name because the Lord says, depart from me ye cursed and the everlasting torment. I never knew you. Yeah, that's right. You don't know his name. Yeah. So hell's a real place. That's not a parable that's just told. But have you ever thought about the fact that when the rich man went to hell, he didn't ask Father Abraham, come send Lazarus to get me out of this place? Why not? Because he'd rather be in hell than have to face, than have to be around God. Yeah. He'd, have to, he'd rather be in hell as opposed to getting out. Uh, there's something about God that makes lost people uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, why is it? Why is it that when folks die knowing Jesus Christ, they die with peace? There, some of you folks sitting right in here, you've known loved ones that have died with Christ, with Christ, having been born again, and they go out, uh, maybe not, you know, shouting the victory, but man, there's peace. I've seen folks laying in the casket, Brother Curtis, and it almost seems like, I'm talking about Christians, they laying in the casket, and it almost seems like there's a smile on their face. Yeah. Weird. And then I've seen some folks laying in a casket to where it looks like they're grimacing they're gnashing their teeth they're weeping they're wailing well the funeral home did that man there's only so much that a funeral home can do to a to a corpse I'm not trying to be graphic or disrespectful but there's only so much that a that a that a funeral home can do yeah. see there a man that dies without Christ, he don't want anything to do with God. And after he dies, that's not going to change anything. That's a fact. Listen, if, if there's something about God's people that makes you uncomfortable, that screams, that, that makes alarm bells go off in, in my soul. It makes alarm bells go off in the souls of the folks that are sitting here, because when you get saved, there's something that God does in your heart that makes you fall in love with God's people. I've heard guys, I'll get to the message here in just a second, but I've heard guys talk about, well, I'm more comfortable in a prison than I am in church. I'm talking about preachers. That's weird. That's weird. That's strange. I'm more comfortable, you know, preaching to lost folks on the street than I am preaching behind a pulpit. That is weird. This is the people where you ought to be the most comfortable around not the folks that are out on the street cussing you because, you know, you're telling them about Jesus Christ. Uh, listen, I realize there might be somebody in here this morning that's either backslid or lost and on their way to hell, but uh, as a general rule, the folks that are in here, they're trying to get something from the Lord. I mean, folks don't show up to church because, well, some folks do show up to church because they feel like they've been made. The little wife came and got them by the ear and said, it's time to go to church. And good for your wife. At least you got some character. But uh, folks come to church because they're looking for something from God. I mean, folks do come because they're religious and, you know, false sense of piety. I understand all those things. But, man, this ought to be a place where you're very comfortable. And if you're not, man, something, you ought to examine that. Uh, Peter said, I believe it was Peter, it might have been Paul in 2 Corinthians 13. He said, examine yourselves. It was Paul in 2 Corinthians 13. He said, examine yourselves. See whether you be in the faith. That's something that you need to take some inventory on this morning. Uh, but I said all of that to say, I got a little sidetracked there, and that's came down from the heavens. That's not something that didn't need to be said. But I will say this this morning. When you're looking through the New Testament, there's not a whole lot of information given about heaven per se comparatively. There is information, but comparatively... It's not, and I, I said something a little bit wrong earlier, just now thinking about it, Revelation 20 and 21, or 21 and 22 is not heaven, that's New Jerusalem. That's a city that comes down from God out of heaven, so that's kind of out even there. Yeah. The information you get about heaven is very small, but there's a lot of information about what thing, what's going to take place in the future. When you die, listen, if you're born again this morning, if you, when you die or when the rapture takes place, you're not staying in heaven forever. There is something called the, the millennial reign of Christ to where the Lord Jesus Christ is the same way that he came the first time. He came literally, physically in a man's body, a Jewish body to be exact. We're not anti-Semitists around here. We... we that, that would be a contradiction of Christianity. Yep. Yep. Oh, but the Jews are so wicked. So are you. Yep. 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 Right. <laughs> I mean, what do you, what do you want? Uh, doesn't justify you or them. That's right. That's right. Uh, but I mean, you, that's just foolishness. But when the Lord comes, when, when the Lord came the first time, he came literally physically in a real body. But when he came the first time, he came and he died for the sins of the whole world. Yep. When he comes back the second time, he's not coming to pay for anybody's sins. He's coming to rule and reign as a monarch, not in a democracy, no votes. God is coming to set up, and if you want a good idea of what that monarchy is set up like, you need to go back and read about the rule and reign of David. David was a king that sat in Jerusalem, and David tried to take all of the land. He, the Bible says in one place he, he went up to the Euphrates River. He went up to recover his border at the Euphrates. God promised Abraham, he said, from the Nile all the way up to the Euphrates. He said, I've given that land to those Jews. Well, when David sat on the throne, David took that as though that was a promise from God, and he did his best to get all of that land. And God pretty near well gave all of it to him. There's a couple of places he didn't get that God had promised all to him, but he got as much of it as he could. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, he's gonna get it all for those Jews. But he's not just gonna sit and rule and reign over the Jews in Jerusalem. He's going to rule and reign over the whole world. Hold your place right here in Daniel chapter 2 and look with me in Psalms. This might turn into a a couple of sermons, uh, maybe two sermons. I'm going to do my best not to. Uh, But Psalm chapter (coughs) 2, Psalm chapter 2 and look in verse 1. Psalm chapter 2, very quickly look with me. Psalm chapter 2 and look in verse 1. The Bible says, Psalm chapter 2, verse 1, I still hear some pages turning, try to give you a second to get there. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sword to pleasure. Now, if you stopped right there in verse 5, you would think that the image that you get in your mind is that here's these kings on earth and they're saying uh, uh, let us cast their bands asunder and uh, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. They're talking about somebody sitting in heaven but look at, look at verse 6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. You say, well, maybe he's talking about David. Maybe this is history. When has Zion ever been referred to as a holy hill when, when kings have been sitting there? I read in my Bible yesterday, and it kind of floored me like it never has floored me before. You remember Solomon prayed for wisdom? He prays that prayer and God says, I'm going to give you wisdom. And he said, I'm also going to give you things that you didn't ask for. Wealth, riches, fame, so forth and so on. And you know what happens right after he gets what God, what God told him he was going to give him? Two harlots come in. What are harlots doing in Jerusalem? Man, this is supposed to be God's city. Ruled and reigned over by the law of God. But there they were. Hey, we both have these children, and she overlaid her child in the night, and now she's stealing my child, saying it's hers. You know, hey, I need you to help us figure out whose child this really is. You know the story, Solomon said, divide the child in half. Take the child and cut him in two. And the mother whose child it really was, oh, no, don't do that. Just give it to her. And Solomon said, there's the mother. That's wisdom. But, see, the thing that floored me was there's two harlots in this kingdom this is supposed to be right. So when he says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, he's not talking about, Zion is Jerusalem, but he's not talking about something in the past. Look at what he says, verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the, of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. That's Revelation 19. The Lord comes back on a white horse. There are animals in heaven, just not Charlie. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. All dogs go to heaven. The Bible says, all, he says dogs are without in the book of Revelation. So I don't think you're going to find Charlie up there. I like dogs, but dogs are without. But there's horses up there. The Lord comes back riding one. And all the armies which were with him in heaven come on them. There's a lot of horses up. Heaven must be a big place. Yeah. It must be a really big place. Uh, a, lot of sp- a lot of room to expand. But that's Revelation 19. The Bible says he rules over the nations with a rod of iron. That's Revelation 19. Well, that's... Psalm 2 verse 9, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise that now therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in it. You know what a great sign of obeisance is? When people come to somebody that they're trying to pay obeisance to, they get down and they grab their hand. I'm not doing it to anybody in here. I didn't want to make you feel awkward. I didn't want to feel awkward. Grab their hand and they... Yeah. That's what they do to the Pope. Yeah. I'd have a hard time doing that to a fellow who's dressed like mama and calls himself Papa. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. But you know what another sign of obeisance is? Is getting down and kissing his feet. Yeah. Kiss the sun lest they be angry. You know what the kings of the earth are going to do when the Lord comes back? They're going to get down right in front of him and kiss his feet. You ever notice in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, when John starts describing him, he says his feet is like brass as though it burned in a furnace. Where's his shoes? He ain't wearing no shoes. The Lord in, the res- in his resurrected body, man, he comes and he shows up to those disciples. And the Bible says, I believe it's in the book of Matthew, when he comes and shows up, they come and they. The Bible says they held him by his feet. Boy, that's the right place to be. Yeah. That's the right place to be to a king. Yeah. Just come down and just grab him by the feet. That's the right place. That's the right place. It might be why some of you can't shout this morning. You're at the wrong spot. You're sitting down here with Jesus as though he's your buddy. And the right place to deal with a resurrected Lord is down at his feet, holding him. Hey, don't go very far from me, Lord. Yes, sir. That's what they do. But them kings of the earth, when he comes back, they're not going to be dictating nothing to him. He's going to be dictating to them. Yes, sir. You say, what is that? That's called the millennial reign yeah. of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call it that because whew, I'm a little bit out of breath. I moved too fast. We call it the millennial reign because in Revelation chapter 20, it's a thousand years. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. Three score and ten is what you get. That's an average man's life according to the book of Psalms. If he's strong, four score. A lot of people live past that. they they really strong folks, I guess, apparently. A thousand years? The Bible says in the millennial reign, a babe will die at a hundred years old. A man that makes it to a hundred years old, they're going to look at him and say, that's a baby. That's a long time. I'm a hundred years old. Oh, you ain't even got started yet. Methuselah died at 969 years old. That's all before the flood. After the flood, it's like God flipped a switch, and it's 120 years. God cuts that thing right down. Abraham died, I think, 175 years old. When the Lord comes back in the millennial reign, man, things are going to be different on this, on this earth. It's going to be different. Right now, listen to me, and I'm a little bit ahead of myself. I want to go through these things and show you some things if I can. But right now, it's preachers coming to you on the street and saying, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Will you believe him? Will you trust his name? In that day, no preacher's going to come to you on the street and say, Jesus Christ died for your sins. The Bible says in the book of Zechariah, if a man prophesies in the millennial reign, he's to be stoned to death by his parents. He's to be killed. Why? Because the king is sitting in Jerusalem. There's no need for preaching no more. Some of y'all be the happiest folks ever. Thank God, no more preaching. Huh? Maybe not. Everybody in here is so spiritual, they love preaching altogether. Uh, things are going to be different, God is going to be in charge. Listen, I tell you sitting in here this morning, those of you that, whose hearts is full of rebellion, just full of I'm going to do it my way, listen, there's coming a day to where you're not going to have any kind of say in anything. See, you live in America to where everything is being pushed right now, your rights, your rights, your rights, your rights, but one day you're going to wake up and you're going to realize you're dealing with a God who doesn't give two cents worth of a care about your rights. Amen. What he cares about is what he said and what you did with it. Now, you get upset. Listen, you can get upset with mama or daddy or grandma or grandpa or a preacher or a judge who comes to you and says, this is the way that it is. And they're very insistent, very narrow minded, very bigoted about those things. But I'm telling you, the reason that that happens a lot of times is because there's a God that sits somewhere and he's that way. This is the way it is. Well, I just don't feel like God says, I don't care. And when the millennial reign shows up, when Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is not going to be reborn as a little baby in Bethlehem's manger. When Jesus Christ comes back, the form of his coming is going to be totally different than Luke chapter 1 and chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 1. It's going to be totally different. He's not going to have a prophet standing out here saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like, I'm talking about John the Baptist. There will be some preachers showing up in the tribulation. Elijah and Moses will be two of them. Hold yeah. oh, Where do you get that? Just open up the book of Revelation and read. Look up the book of Matthew and see who is standing with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah, two fellas that went to Mount Horeb. They went to Mount Sinai. Both of those guys were standing right there with God. There's all kinds of stuff to be said. All I'm saying is it's going to be a whole lot different when he comes the second time as opposed to when he came the first time. The first time, people was reaching up there and grabbing a hold of his beard and pulling stuff out, pulling his beard out by the handfuls. This time when he comes, nobody going to be grabbing him by the beard. They're going to be down at his feet kissing him. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's going to be totally different, my friend. Yeah. No votes in Congress about the way that you want things to be run. Amen. This is the way things are going to be run. Yeah. And it's going to be martial law. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be, well, we just need to sit down and figure out how you feel about things. And let's just work it through this psychologically. The Lord's going to look at you and say, it's this way. Or i got a lake of fire waiting for you. Yeah. 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 Amen. Yeah. It'll be do or die. I didn't mean to take your Bible from you. I'm not a thief, I promise. Right now you do something wrong, and the little policeman come up and say, here's your little ticket, or, you know, I got to put you in cuffs and get in the back of the police car. We'll take you down to the police station, and the judge says, naughty, naughty, and then they cut you loose, and you just go live like hell. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. That day the Lord says, it's going to be this way, or, hey, Let's come and talk. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Look with me in Daniel chapter 2. Uh, I... Daniel chapter 2, really, you're going to look at Daniel chapter 2 if you've never read it before, which I know everybody that's been here in this church for any length of time, you've read been through Daniel chapter 2, but after everything that's been said this morning, you're thinking, what in God's name does Daniel chapter 2 have to do with this? But it has everything to do with this. This morning, I'm going to try and preach to you, having spent much time on my introduction. I'm going to try to preach to you this morning about the new world order. The new world order. Back in the 90s, go to Daniel chapter 2. Back in the 90s when I was a real young guy, I'm a young guy right now, but when I was a real young guy, I heard a whole lot of talk about the new world order. And the Antichrist is going to come, who is really, according to the Bible, he's called the man of sin. And he's going to come and he's going to set up a new world order. But Daniel chapter 2 does away with all of that notion. You say, what do you mean it does away with all that notion? Well, when the man of sin shows up and he tries to get all the nations together in the tribulation, there's nothing new about it. There's nothing new about it. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Okay, let me explain. Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Better watch out for these guys that have dreams. I don't like to talk about my dreams. They're weird. So I just, I do my best to forget them. When my wife wants to tell me about dreams usually has something to do with me dying or getting run over by a train or something. The Bible says a a dream cometh through a multitude of business. If that's what she's dreaming about, I wonder what she's been thinking about. I don't have no life insurance policy, so I'm not sure why she'd be interested in getting with me. Uh, Getting rid of me. Did I say getting with me? Lord have mercy. Help me not to say something extremely foolish. Oh, but Here's this fellow, he has this dream, and he has this dream of this image, and this image is, it's a big, tall image, and it's got gold at the head, it's got silver at the chest and the arms, it's got brass at the torso and the thighs, the legs, and then it's got feet that are made, oh, then it's got lower legs of iron, and then it's got a little bit lower, it's made out of iron and clay mixed. And the idea with the image is that as the image goes on from gold down to the iron and clay mixed, as it goes down, it gets less and less in value. It does, it's not improving. Well, when you take the scriptures and you begin to look at these things, Daniel even gives the interpretation and he says, he says Nebuchadnezzar, you're this head of gold. He says, thou art this head of gold. I'm trying to abbreviate this because I've already spent a lot of time in an introduction. But go home and read Daniel chapter 2 today if you haven't read it in a long time. Go back and read Daniel chapter 2. Daniel looks at Nebuchadnezzar. He says, thou art this head of gold. And he says, after thee, he said, there's going to come along another kingdom that's inferior to you and he said after that kingdom there's going to come along another kingdom that's inferior to that second kingdom and he said another one will come along and it'll be inferior until you get down to this the feet of this image, the feet and the ten toes, and he said these ten toes are going to be ten kings. And he said said, those ten kings, he said that kingdom is going to be mixed. It's all mixed up. And he said the reason that it's iron and clay mixed is because he said that kingdom is going to be partly strong and partly broken. Now listen, I can tell you right now from a prophetical standpoint, we're not yet in those ten toes. But, boy, we sure qualify to be there. Yeah. We sure do. Listen, the strongest government that you've ever seen in your life, and I know we Americans are not, you're not going to like this, but it's a fact. The strongest government you've ever, that you've ever seen that's ever been in existence is not a democracy. Amen. That's the weakest. Yeah. Yeah. I like, this is not a democracy, by the way. Amen. This is a constitutional republic. Yeah, yeah, right. But anyways, uh, everybody talking about Americans being a democracy, it's not a democracy. You know what's wrong with a democracy? It's the majority rules. And yeah. hey, listen, you, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is that the majority is always wrong. Yeah. Always. Yeah. What proof do you have for that? History. It's, it's a fact, man. Just look at what has happened through history to where everybody follows what mainstream whoever says and just watch what turns out. Yeah. Now, listen, I can tell you something. Listen, without being, uh, well, no, I'll be preachy. It'll be okay. You'll be fine. Let me just be a little preachy right here. You know why you have a hard time believing that? Because you think, why well, I just believe there's a little bit of good in everybody. And you know what the Lord said? The Lord said there is none good, no, not one. He said in another place, He said every man at his best state is altogether. Ooh, boy, you want to talk about something that does not stroke the ego, huh? My wife get in there and you know put this makeup on and you know make herself all pretty. Looks real good. It's vanity. I don't look at it that way. That's what God said, though. Yeah, yeah. Get in there and shave my face this morning, cause I don't want to feel like I'm an old dog and why? Some of you fellas grow beards, and why well, I wish I could grow a beard and it look right, but I feel like a dog with the manes when I do that. So I shave it off, put my suit and tie on, and press my shirt with the iron, and you know spray that starch on, get everything looking just right. Vanity. That's all on the outside. Well, I'm really going to do something good for somebody today. And so you go do it, help a little old lady across the street, go buy somebody a bag of groceries, and you know what God has to say about that? Vanity. (gasps) What? What? That's the way that God looks at things. Now, listen, you look at that and you say, that is ridiculous. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But, okay, take that same individual who helped a little old lady across the street or went and bought somebody groceries and left it in their driveway. That's a good work. That's a good work, but take that individual's life over a course of 80 years and see how much lying's in there, how much stealing is done in there, how much dishonesty is in there, Uh, filled with blasphemy and cursing. Oh, but I'm really a good person. Really. Because you did these five or six isolated things or maybe these five or six hundred isolated things, but the whole course of your nature is set on hell. Every man at his best state is altogether vanity. And you know what that does? That just takes the whole course of this world and just bends it in a direction. You say, what's the direction it's headed? Hell. Hmm? That's the direction it's headed. And as time goes on, things don't get better. They get worse. Let me ask you something. Are things better right now or were they better 50 years ago? Are they better right now or were they better 20 years ago? Hey, listen, I'm 35 years old. I'll be 36 this year, I think, if I, my, if I remember how old I am. But, you know, thinking about this stuff, I remember back in the 90s, man, things were better in the 90s than they are right now. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Clinton was in office when I was growing up, but, man, it seemed like everything was hunky-dory. Man, nobody was worried like they are now. Comparatively speaking, now everybody, man, you can't even get independent Baptists to not be worried. You see what I'm saying? Things are not better. Things are getting worse. The cry of the world is that, well, we're going to build a great new world. They're talking about this stuff of the great reset. These masterminds are going to get together and boy, they're just going to put something together and they're going to make this wonderful world where everybody gets along with each other and everybody loves each other. My hind leg they are. You can't make people get along with each other by legislating them. We're going to pass a law that says you can't hate Mexicans. What's that going to do? All that's going to do, which I don't hate Mexicans, I don't hate anybody because of their skin color or their background. There are cultures that I absolutely abhor. That's a fact. Since it got so quiet right there, that's a fact. I just think you ought to respect my culture. Your culture is sorry. If you're getting out by a fire at night and... We've got missionaries down in Haiti that are saying while they're sitting at home at, at night at 12 o'clock midnight, they can hear the drums going out in the background. Yeah. Devil worshipers, witch doctors out there yeah. dancing around a fire. That's a bad culture because yeah. they've got bad religion. Yeah. It's a poor religion. Yeah. That's that's true. That's true. You take that home and chew on it if you want to. I just believe in respecting everybody's religion. Then how come all religions don't turn you out in the same place? Yeah. Huh? All religions are not the same. All cultures are not the same. They don't all take you to the same place. Some places dump you out with no peace. Some religions dump you out worried about things and no peace in your heart, but there is this one religion to give you peace and joy in your heart and teach you to love folks genuinely, not just in lip service. We just love everybody. No, I do not really teach you how to love people. Yes, yeah, right. yep. yeah, sir. First John says you do that by obeying God's commandments. That's how you love people. Things are not getting better. Things are getting worse. You say, why? Because from Nebuchadnezzar, as we go down through the times of the Gentiles, that's the book of Luke. That's what this time is called. As we go from Nebuchadnezzar all the way down to the second advent at the end of the tribulation, the rapture is going to take place. But as far as the course of this world is concerned, these things roll from Nebuchadnezzar around 606 B.C. all the way down to the ten-toed kingdom. These ten kings, man, they're ruling over something. And they get down to this thing, and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden, when that all takes place, when these ten toes get in in this place, look right here in verse 34, Daniel chapter 2, verse 34. Thou sawest, Daniel 2, 34, Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and become like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away that no place was found for them and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Well, what's he talking about? What does all that mean? Well, look down in verse 13. Forty-one, And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron for as much, for as, much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. It's a kingdom that's all mixed up. We qualify for that. You may not think about, you may not think about America as a kingdom because there's no king. But it's a government. Is that, is that not true? America has government. Now, folks are trying to do everything they can to eliminate that. But the weakness is starting to come in. The weakness, and it happens in any society, but the weakness comes in because things get all mixed up. Listen, you can't have a strong government when people don't know if they're men or, or women. I'm trying not to preach about politics, but this is just true, man. In, a, in any government that works, you know what has to be at the top? Truth. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's a man by the name of Samuel Rutherford who wrote a book called Lex Rex. That's Latin. You know what it means? Law is king. Lex, law. That's Latin for law. Rex, king. That's Latin for king. Law is king. That is basically how this country was founded. We're not going to have a king that rules over us. What we're going to have is we're going to have laws, and those laws will rule over us. Boy, there's so much that could be said right there, but I'm not going to go off on on that side, but I will say this, that kind of a government works. Well, now what you've got is you've got a situation to where there's people that are not interested in the truth, and they're trying to make laws. They're trying to legislate against righteousness, and the whole thing is just a big mix-up, and it's going to keep being that way. It's right for boys to be boys and girls to be girls. It's right for men to marry women and have children. It's right for men to go to the men's restroom and ladies to go to the ladies' restroom. And when you start trying to legislate and throw that stuff out the window, it's not just going to affect, well, I wonder which bathroom do I go to? You're talking about something to where people are so confused in their mind, man, people don't know what's real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the whole country is just going to fall apart and it's going to keep falling apart until somebody steps in and says, no, this is absolute. Yep. 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 This is the way that it is. Well, I just feel like your feelings are stupid. Yeah, yep, that's right. They stink. They yeah. yeah. stink. There's a lot of times I've opened my Bible and I've read something and I thought, I don't feel like it's that way. But as soon as that comes through my mind, I'm thinking it don't matter that's right. because that's the way God said it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Oh, you guys are brainwashed. Absolutely. We love clean minds around here. Yeah. That's good. I recommend having yours washed too. And you don't even have to put $5 in the little machine for like you do a car wash. You just open a Bible and just spend time in it, and God will just clean you right out. Take some time. Take some time, but God will do it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, let me get back to this. And as the toes were part of iron and part of clay, verse 42, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand Forever, You know how he sets up that new kingdom? That's the new world order right there. You know how he sets up the new kingdom? He doesn't repair the old one that's here. He comes down. The Bible says what Nebuchadnezzar sees in, in his image is a stone cut out of the mountain without hands. And it comes down and it hits that image on the toes. And it breaks that whole image up from those ten... Ten kings, those ten toes, all the way back to Nebuchadnezzar. Just bust it all up. Yes, sir. Right now, there's remnants of Babylon hanging out in this culture right now. There's remnants of the Medes and the Persians hanging out right now. A lot of your military in the United States, you know where they got a lot of their military tactics? Not all of them, but you know where they got a lot of them? They got it from Greece. That was the third kingdom in in this image. See, those things trickle down to right where you are right now. And it's just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And then at the end of the tribulation, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Lord is going to come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God. Wham! He's going to come down and he's going to hit this world. And the Bible said in in one of the prophets, it's almost like it's going to knock the earth off its axis. Whoa! What was that? Hmm? Yeah. And when he knocks it all into a million pieces, he's going to just he gonna slaughter everybody that's against him. Everybody. Just put them to death. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's so horrible. Well, it's not so horrible if you realize your opportunity to do right and get right is right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's not horrible at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's right. right. See, we're not preaching doom and gloom this morning. I'm not telling you that God's out to just absolutely destroy it. What I'm telling you is that God's a just God and your opportunity to repent and get right is today. Yeah. Today is the day of salvation. Right. You wait until the second advent, it's too late. Right. He said, woe unto those that say the day of the Lord. He said, man, it's going to be like somebody running from a bear and then leaning up against a post in their house and a serpent jumps out and bites them. Yeah. <laughs> Bam! Hmm? escaped the great tribulation. Boy, I made it through the tribulation. And then all of a sudden, here comes the Lord out of heaven and just lands at Armageddon, just slaughters everybody that's against him. Yeah, you made it from the running bear tribulation, running from the bear. But now all this thing jumps out and bam, gotcha. You. You're toast, man. Yeah. Today's the day to get right. Yeah. Today, Behold, today, now is the appointed time. Today's the day of salvation. Oh, you're trying to pressure me into getting saved. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, man. I wouldn't want my worst enemy to die and go to hell. I wouldn't want my worst enemy to be on the wrong side when the Lord comes back. Yes, sir. How's the Lord set up the new world order? He totally removes the old one. Listen, it's a day of great terror if you're not saved. It's a day of great terror. But listen, I really want to talk to you folks that are saved. It's a great hope. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's a great comfort. Yeah. Yeah. Li- right now, listen, right now, we are the minority. You know what Paul said in 2 Corinthians? He said, we're the off-scouring of the world. You know what the off-scouring is? Y'all got cast iron skillets? If you don't have cast iron, you ain't right with God. That's in the Bible somewhere. I'll have to find the verse, but I'm sure it's in there. Uh, The off-scouring is when you cook with that cast iron and you get nasty stuff kind of baked on there. Uh, Cast iron, it can take some nasty stuff because they're supposed to be, I think, what they call a pantina. That sounds really smart. makes me feel really good about myself. No, I'm just kidding. But there's a, supposed to be that little layer, that black stuff. But there's some stuff you've got to get off. So you take a little uh, stiff bristled brush or maybe one of those chainmail things and you take it in there and you just go like that. You don't use soap. You don't use soap. You don't use soap on cast iron. Yeah. <laughs> you don't use soap on cast iron. Thank you. Nobody else is with me. My deacon's with me. But, anyways, he's the one that told me that. <laughs> you take that stuff, you take that chainmail, and you run that thing in that cast iron, and there's all this food stuff that comes out. That's the stuff you don't want. That's the off scouring. Paul says right now we're the off scouring of this world these narrow-minded Christians coming around and saying homosexuality ain't right. Well, we just ought to be able to do whatever we want to do. Well, you can, but God's not going to bless it, and it's going to destroy everything around you. And they don't just apply to homosexuality. It applies to everything that's labeled as sin, drugs, drunkenness, adultery. See, some, some girl came to me at a different church and said, what do you have against homosexuals? I said, everything I got against adulterers and murderers. It's not just homosexuality. It's all kinds of stuff, man. But see, people got off the fight in the battle against adultery a long time ago and fornication and murder a long time ago. Well, that stuff don't matter. That's old news. No, it's not old news, man. It's still as prevalent and still as pertinent today as the current issues. But all these Christians standing around being the salt of the earth, they're the off-scouring of the world. And listen to me, there's going to come a day to where Jesus Christ himself, the chief, what they would consider to be the off-scouring of this world, they hated him so much, they killed him. Well, that was back then. Hey, man, it's still going on right now. You talk about Jesus and folks, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. And then you talk about the Jesus that has expectations out of their life. you're just a narrow-minded bigot. No, that's the Jesus you said you love. That's the Jesus you said saved your soul. It's not that they hate you and I. They do. But what they hate is they hate God. And they hate Jesus Christ. They hated the apostles. You know why they persecuted the the apostles and prophets? Because they hated that Old Testament God and they hated the New Testament Jesus Christ. They're the same people. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to hate you just the same. If you get on God's side, listen, if you get on God's side, if you get on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to be buddies with those people. It's not going to... Brother Nathan, don't you just believe we ought to love everybody? I believe that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's where the love is. See, when most folks say love, what they're thinking is... What they're thinking is, well, we just ought to accept everything. And you know, if you had a good mama and daddy, love and acceptance are not the same thing. Right. My mama and daddy loved me, but they did not approve or accept everything that I ever did. Amen. Because they loved me, they told me that was wrong. Amen. And you fixing to get your hide tanned. Amen. Amen. But now that's child abuse. It's only child abuse if you're morally nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not talking about beating a kid with a water hose or with a hanger. But the Bible does say in the book of Proverbs, beat him with the rod and you'll save his soul from hell. So you take it how you want to. What's going on is this world's filled with a bunch of rebels. And they're sitting right in the independent Baptist churches. And they never had a preacher to look at them and say, what your problem is is you're full of hell and you never submitted to your mom and daddy's raising. Yeah. And now your life is falling apart and you're looking around blaming it on your mom and daddy when your mom and daddy was the folks that tried to help you, stupid. Yeah, that's right. yep. Instead, a preacher would pull them up next to you and say, oh, you're going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. But the thing is that don't give peace in people's hearts. And listen, there's coming a day to where God, Jesus Christ, is going to come back, and he's going to make peace in this world. And you know how he's going to do it? By armed warfare. And it's not going to be a war on terror drawn out for 15 or 20 years. It's going to be done in one battle. One battle. I would say in less than maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour. I don't know. The path that he has to march, we'll look at that at some point, but the path that he has to march is a long march. And the Bible says when he's walking through, in front of him it looks like the Garden of Eden, and behind him it looks like ashes. He's blazing a path. He's going to make it right right. because he is right. And you know what the effect of that's going to be? It's going to be a time of peace and blessing like this world has never known. You know what people are trying to do? You know what this great reset is all about? Brother Nathan, there ain't no great reset. The great reset's been going on for a long time. Hey, listen, it's been going on since Nebuchadnezzar. You know what people are trying to do? They're trying to get back into the Garden of Eden without God. We want paradise. We just don't want it God's way. And you ain't getting to a place of peace in this world. This world is never going to know peace. It's never going to know prosperity until it gets down on its knees before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and says, you're right. right. But it'll come. It's coming. Right now, you're the off-scouring of the world. You know what my admonition to you is this morning? Just keep being the off-scouring of the world. There'll come a day to where the Bible says, God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God will handle it. That's why God in the church age didn't tell us to pick up machetes and machine guns and go force people to be Christians and force people to do things our way because it's not our way to begin with. It's God's way. What God told you to do was just get out and preach. I'm not a preacher. Preaching is a proclamation. Get out and talk about it. Hey, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Well, they don't believe. Let them not believe, man. Keep going back. Go back tomorrow and talk to them again. Well, they told me to leave them alone. Give them a week and go back and talk to them again. Well, I'm going to get fired. Give them a month and go back and talk to them again. And just keep at it. Keep staying faithful to you, God, and let the chips fall where they may. There's going to come a day where God will get it all ironed out. Don't worry. Don't worry about ironing all that stuff out today. God's going to handle it. God going to handle it. Everything that you know right now, all the corruption in the White House, all the corruption in the Capitol, it's all going to get taken care of. It ain't going to get taken care of until Jesus comes back. But when He it comes, it's going to be handled. And it'll be handled a lot better than you standing out in front of the White House and picketing for your rights. Hmm? That ain't going to work. Just keep praying. Keep studying. Keep witnessing. Stay faithful until death. God will handle it. God will handle it. Lord, thank you, God, for your goodness this morning. God, Lord, thank you, Lord, for allowing us, God, Lord, to be your servants. And Lord, God, truly, Lord, you did a great work for us, God, at Calvary. Lord, thank you, God, for dying on the cross and making all these things possible for us. God, we're unworthy people. God, not, not the least deserving of your mercies, not the least deserving to be identified by your name. But God, Lord, you sent your son, God, to pay for our sins. Lord, help us to stay faithful to you. God, help us to do the right thing. God, help us, Lord, to, uh, Lord, like it says in the book of Luke, in patience possess ye your souls. Help us to do the right thing. Lord, we thank you, God, for these things. Thank you, Lord, for the comfort, Lord, of both the rapture. Thank you, Lord, for the comfort of the fact, Lord, that one day you're going to fix this world up the way that it's supposed to be done. And, Lord, we praise you for that. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy. Help us, God, today to be the people that you've called us to be. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, listen, I'm going to dismiss you this morning. I'm not going to give you an invitation, but I will say this. Before you leave, I want you to think about something. If you're in here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is a possibility you'll walk out the back of these doors and you will never make it back. You may die, you may not die. You may just leave and never come back. And the things that I've told you this morning are from God's book. They're not just things that I had a dream about last night and just thought I'd tell you about them because this is so wonderful and it gave me the chills up and down my spine. These things are really going to happen. This is not Star Wars. This is not Lord of the Rings. This stuff really going to happen. You say, how do you know? Everything else that's been prophesied has taken place. It's going to happen. When, I don't know, but it's going to happen. And it's not going to be very long. Preacher's been saying that for a long time. Well, I'm one more. And if it takes place in 200 years, that's not very long looking at 7,000. You walk out the back of these doors not knowing what's going to happen to you when you die, not knowing that you're on the Lord Jesus Christ's side, boy, there's no hope for you. But I could take a Bible and show you this morning how you can know that your sins are forgiven and that walking out of here, you're right with God and everything is right. Everything is true. Everything is just the way that it needs to be. But that'll be on you. And I'm telling you, that is not a gamble that I would want to take not going to get you put your name on the church roll, not asking for any money. I'm asking for the opportunity to take a Bible and show you how you can know that your sins are forgiven, knowing that you're saved. That's your call. But I'm telling you, I hope you stop and think about these things. I, I pray these things will go with you today. All right, you're dismissed this morning.